Man, I have enjoyed worshiping with you today. We got a good morning so far? Yeah, it's been awesome. Uh, I appreciate seeing you guys. I appreciate the praise team doing an awesome job leading us this morning. Uh, just so you know, later on during my sermon time, the praise team is going to sing a song that is new to our church family. You may not know the words uh, or the tune. When that time comes, they're going to sing it. If you know it or pick it up, feel free to sing along. But more importantly, pay attention to the words and the message. That will make sense here in a few minutes. Okay? But I'm glad you're here this morning. I'm glad, as I said at the beginning of worship, whatever reason it was that brought you here this morning, I'm glad that, that, that God brought you here. I don't believe that you're here by accident. I believe that God brought you here for a reason today. And maybe that was to hear a message. Maybe that was just to experience worship together. That, maybe that was to experience communion together. Uh, maybe that's just to have a conversation with somebody that you haven't in a while or never had before. Whatever it was, I've, I've prayed before you got here that God would, would, would reveal to you what he needed to today. And so I hope that if it hasn't happened already, it is happening for you this morning. We, um, I, I kind of want to just jump right into the lesson. We've, we've been talking uh, for the last several weeks uh, about different statements of Jesus and not necessarily focusing on the, on the statements that, that we often like to hear and, and really want to focus on, the statements about love and grace and compassion and forgiveness. All those are great. We need to focus on those. We like those words of Jesus. We need to read them often. We need to share them with other people. But we've been talking about things that Jesus said that make us just stop for saying, oh, wait, what? What did he just say? Let me read that again. And, and, and maybe it's things that we don't understand. We, you know, Jesus says some things sometimes that, that are just kind of confusing to us. And maybe it made sense to people back then when he said them and it doesn't make sense to us now. Or maybe people back then when he first said them are just as confused or were just as confused as we are now when we read them. Or maybe it's some things that it's not really confusing. We just don't want to do it. We hear Jesus' words, we read them, and we're thinking, uh, maybe he meant that for somebody else and not me. And, and it almost causes us to go, man, I wish he hadn't said that. Not because it's untrue and, and, and not because it's all that confusing, but because of, of what kind of commitment or life change that might require of me. I'd rather him not have said that. And yet there it is right in front of me. There's his words. And so we've been going through some of these things together, some things that stretch us, some things that, that challenge us, maybe even confuse us sometimes, some things that make us stop for saying, wait, what? What did he just say? So we're going to do that again this morning. We're going to look at another example of this today, things, things that, that I wish that Jesus never said. This is something that, that maybe several of us wish that Jesus had never said, not because it's confusing and I don't understand it, not because I don't want to do it. Actually, what I, what I struggle with this morning is what these words that Jesus shares say about himself and about God. I struggle with it. Maybe this will make a little more sense. When, when you... When you look at scripture, when you, if you got your Bibles, you can op open them up. We're going to be in, in Mark chapter 15 in just a second. You can scroll to that on your Bible app. But if you, if you don't know that much about the Bible, uh, the Bible is divided into two major sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the New Testament, the first book of the New Testament is Matthew. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those first four books of the New Testament, are what we call the Gospels. And basically those are the 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 tellings of the story of Jesus when he was here on this earth. And in all four of those gospels, in all four of those books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of those authors tell the story of the crucifixion of Jesus. 
They tell the story of him being arrested and him being on, on trial and him being beaten and him being crucified on the cross. All four of them tell that story. And, and some of the details are exactly the same. And then some of them share different details. They don't conflict with each other. It's just this author shares these particular details and this author shares these particular details. And when you look at the crucifixion itself in all four of those books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all share different details about what it looked like and, and, and the sounds and the, and the statements and the crowds and everything that were around the cross when Jesus was hanging there dying. And some of them share these, these details and some of them share these details. And, and they all share something, maybe a couple of things, that Jesus said while he was on the cross. And when you look through those words, there's some of those things that, man, they resonate with me. I love to hear them. When he's hanging in front of the cross, and, and Scripture tells us that he, that he looks down at these people who are, who are clamoring for his death, who are cheering the fact that, he's been, that he is being killed in such a horrific way. And he looks down at them, and he, and he calls out to his father, and he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. I love those words of Jesus. Because I recognize there's things that I still do. There's things that I, that, that I still do that break Jesus' heart, that break the, the heart of God. And I'm sorry for those things. I wish I wouldn't do those things. And I know that, that sometimes I even promise I'll never do those things again, and I go right back to doing them. And I can hear the words of Jesus in those times going, Father, forgive him. Bless his heart, he's just dumb sometimes. He doesn't know what he's doing. I love these words of Jesus. One of the things that Jesus said when, when someone who was crucified beside him changes his heart, changes his mind, says, Lord, I've, I've made a lot of mistakes. Jesus, I recognize that, that you don't deserve to be here, and I do, but when you come in your kingdom, would you, would you remember me? And Jesus' words to the thief on the cross were, today you will be with me in paradise. I love those words. Can we go ahead with the next screen? I love those words right there for two reasons. One is because there's, there's, there's forgiveness there. He's, he's asking God to forgive the people that are watching the crucifixion. He's also asking God and, and telling this guy, all the mistakes, all the things you've done wrong, I forgive those things. But then there's also the promise. This isn't the end of the story. Today, you're going to be with me in paradise. I love that. When Jesus looks down from the cross and he sees one of his disciples standing next to his mother, and you can only imagine the emotions that she's going through and, the, and as she watches her son suffer and die in such a horrific way. And he looks at her and he, and he sees this disciple uh, next to her and he says, woman, here's your son. It's a beautiful statement. In the middle of going through the crucifixion, in the middle of all that Jesus is dealing with, he's still concerned about his mama. And he wants her to be blessed. He wants her to be taken care of. And he's, and he's not saying, look up here at the cross and see your son. He's saying, this person next to you, look at him. This is your son now. He's going to look after you. He's going to take care of you. I'm not going to leave you alone. I love that. Even the words that, that Reagan shared a few minutes ago when we were taking communion together, when Jesus, the, the, some of the last words that he spoke before he breathed his last breath were, it is finished. This whole, this whole mission that I was on, this whole ministry that I was doing, this whole... This whole plan of God is done. I've done it. I've conquered sin. I'm conquering death. It's finished. The battle's over. That just gives me hope. I love those words of Jesus from the cross. 
And I can soak these phrases in and I can, and I can dwell on them and I, and I love hearing them and I love reading back through them and, and figuring out all the different things they mean to me. But there's this one, this one thing that Jesus says that has always bothered me. And you may not be like me. I grew up going to church. I grew up listening to sermons and going to Bible classes and, and all those things. And, and this is a verse that I remember from, a, from the time I was a kid. Just, it just, I don't know, irritated me a little bit. It's always made me uncomfortable, and, and I've wrestled with it. And maybe it won't bother you like it does me, but I'm just sharing with you. This is something that I wish Jesus hadn't said. And it comes from Mark chapter 15. In verse 34, as Jesus is suffering on the cross, he cries out. Scripture says he cries out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which is a Hebrew phrase, an Aramaic phrase. His native language there among the Jewish people. But Mark gives you the English translation for us. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I struggle with this word forsaken. I struggle with the fact that Jesus cries out to God, God, why have you forsaken me? And I said, this is the English words. Actually, the, this part of scripture was originally written in ancient Greek. And if you go back to the ancient Greek word that we translate in our English Bibles as forsaken, it's a word that means to, to completely leave, to desert, to abandon. To leave completely destitute and alone. What we, how we could read this, how we could translate the scriptures this way. We could read it where Jesus cries out in a loud voice, My God, why have you abandoned me? I read those words and it bothers me. It challenges me. It makes, it, it just, I, I wish Jesus hadn't said it. It makes me stop for a second. Wait, what? What did he just say? I get the forgiveness part. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They didn't know all the, all the implications, all the ramifications of what they're doing. That makes sense. Looking after his mom, woman, here's your son. Knowing now, in, you know, now that I'm in the future looking back, knowing that it is finished, understanding the whole plan and that it was done. I can get all that. But this makes me stop and go, wait, what? Of all the things that Jesus could have said, why is he saying this? And we could come up with all sorts of answers. And if you, if you listen to different speakers, if you go on YouTube, if you look stuff up on, on different search engines, you'll find all sorts of different people giving opinions of why Jesus said this. And I don't want to overcomplicate this this morning. I want to tell you why I wish Jesus hadn't said this. It's not because these words aren't honest and real, and it's not, because, it's not even because these words make Jesus sound, sound weak. I'm sure he was. He's been up all night. He's been on this mock trial. He's been beaten within an inch of his life. He's been nailed to a piece of wood and is slowly suffocating to death. There's weakness and vulnerability there. That's not what bothers me. What bothers me about these words is what this cry from Jesus says about God. Because in this moment when Jesus is seemingly at his weakest, when he's at his most vulnerable, when he desperately needs his father the most, in that moment, he feels completely abandoned. And I struggle with that. Why would God do that? Why would, why would the God who is 
who's supposed to be the epitome of love, who's supposed to be the embodiment of, of compassion and grace and mercy, why would he turn his back on his own son, especially when Jesus needed him the most? But we see the answer when we see the complete picture the complete picture of Jesus on the cross. Because you see, when we look at the cross, I mean, with our physical eyes, we can see even, I know none of us were actually there, but, but, but from the descriptions, you can picture in your mind, you can see the, the beaten body, you can see the, the bruises and the swelling starting to form from the times that he was hit with, with, with sticks and punched and kicked. You can see the sweat and, and the blood mixed with with the saliva of men as they have spit on him, dripping from his face and his hair and his beard. You can see the, the thorns pressed into his skull, gouging into his skin and, and, and creating drops of blood running down his face and into his eyes. You can see the places where the whips have torn away flesh. You can see the nails. You can see him hanging from the cross. You can see the blood dripping down his arms and down his body. You can hear his breath getting a little shorter and struggling a little more. You can hear him wheezing as his body slowly sinks and he continues to suffocate to death. You can picture all of that. You can see the suffering. You can, you can hear it in his voice. You can see it with your eyes. And what we can't see, what we, what we just don't have the ability to see is in spite of all that suffering, there's one more thing that Jesus was suffering and we can't see it with our physical eyes. We can't picture it ourselves. One other thing that he's dealing with on the cross and that is our sin. And that may not seem like a big deal, but, but I want you to understand that up until this point, up until the time that Jesus was hanging on the cross, Jesus had never experienced, personally experienced sin before. He had been around it. He had seen people commit sin. He had forgiven it. He had helped people walk through it. He had brought people out on the other side of it. He had, he had been surrounded by it, but never done it himself. He had never known what it's like to, to deal with the guilt and the frustration and the hurt of sin. He had never personally experienced it. And yet on the cross, for the first time ever, not only is Jesus enduring the physical suffering, now he's got my sin, my guilt, my frustration, and repeatedly doing the things that I said I wouldn't do. My anger at myself for the choices that I've made. My despair, my disgust. And yours too. You see, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. The one who had never known sin, the one who had always forgiven sin but had never committed sin, now becomes the embodiment of sin. It's not just, it's, it's even difficult to wrap our minds around. It's not just that Jesus felt sin or felt the consequences of sin. Jesus became sin. He became something that God hates. He became something that God rejects. Because the very nature of Almighty God doesn't allow him to be around sin. 
He can't tolerate to be around it. He hates sin. He doesn't hate sinners. He hates sin. And he can't tolerate it. And he can't be near it. And Jesus became it. He became sin for us. All the selfish choices, all the failures, all the hatred, all the guilt. Jesus took all of that on himself and became all of those things. And God in that moment, he couldn't be around that stuff. It can't be in his presence. It's against his very nature. As he said uh, to his people through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 59 and verse 2, it's your sins that have cut you off from God. Sin creates separation. Sin creates disconnection. I choose something else instead of choosing God. And when I do, we're separated. We're completely disconnected. And when Jesus took on all our sin and, and, and became sin, it created for him, for the first time ever, in all of eternity, for the first time, he was separated from God. He was disconnected from God. A distance that he had never, ever felt before. He felt abandoned. I'm all alone. I'm carrying this by myself. My God, why have you abandoned me? That's what's happening on the cross, folks. There's a sacrifice that's being made. There's a, there's, there's a death that's, that's occurring. There's a penalty being paid for our sin. Yours and mine. Whether you even choose to believe in that or not, my, my Lord died for your sin. And he died for mine. And Almighty God is allowing his sin on the cross, is allowing his son to become something that he, something that he hates. Because he loves us that much. God couldn't stand to be around sin. He couldn't stand to be around sin, but, also, but God also couldn't stand to not be around you. I want to say that again. I want it to resonate. I want you to hear it. Maybe some of you for the first time. My God can't stand to be around sin. But maybe even... Even more so, my God can't stand to not be around you. So he allowed his only son to become the embodiment of sin for you, for me. So that distance wouldn't be there anymore. So we could be reconnected with him again. That's what we're going to hear about in this song. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished, the end is 
is written, Jesus Christ, my living hope, who could imagine so great a mercy, what heart could fathom such boundless grace, the God of ages, stepped down from glory, to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken, I am forgiven. The King of kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living. Salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe. Out of the silence, the roaring lion. Declare the grave has no claim on me. Jesus, yours is the victory. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Almighty God, we praise your name for giving us hope through Jesus. Forgive us, Lord, when we doubt it. Forgive us when we pretend it's not real, when we convince ourselves it's not real. Forgive us, Lord, when we, when we treat the cross, when we treat the empty tomb as just trivial and meaningless. Jesus Christ, you are our living hope. We thank you for taking our sin, for becoming sin for us. 
for setting us free, for breaking our chains, for giving us hope, not just of heaven, but, but hope for peace and purpose on this earth. We celebrate you, we praise you. Through the power of your name, amen. Have a seat, please. You see, as that song we just sang, as we just worshiped together, we recognize the story didn't end at the cross. The story wasn't, wasn't finished at the tomb. Yes, Jesus really died, and yes, they really did put his body in a tomb. He was sacrificed. He gave his life to pay the penalty for our sin, for your sin, for my sin. And in that moment, he was separated from God, and he felt completely abandoned by his father. But then the debt was paid. The consequences of sin were finished. The power of death was conquered. God breathed life into Jesus' lifeless body. God rolled back the stone. God opened the grave, and Jesus Christ came walking out. And in that moment, God fulfilled a promise. I will not let the grave have the final word. I will not let death have the final victory. I am the God who gives life to what's dead. I am the God who shatters the darkness with light. I am the God who wraps his arms around the abandoned and says, you're not alone. I'm right here. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, the author of Hebrews records God's words in this way. Never will I leave you. Never will I abandon you. I may feel defeated. I may feel completely alone. I may feel abandoned. But if I'm a child of God, I'm not abandoned at all. My God is right here. When we see, when we see the empty tomb, when we, when we picture that, We shouldn't just see the miracle. I mean, it's an amazing miracle that a body raised from the dead. It's amazing. It's awesome. We shouldn't just limit ourselves to seeing just the miracle of a dead body being resurrected. We should look at the empty tomb and see a, a, a victory of God over Satan. And when we celebrate the empty tomb, as we've been doing all morning, it should move beyond the fact that Jesus was risen from the grave. We should recognize and we should celebrate the fact that God keeps his promises. And his promises, I will never abandon you. You're not alone. And that's what we need to see today, folks. Here's the point. If you've missed everything or tuned out this morning, here's what I'm trying to get across. And it's words again from Hebrews, back up to chapter 4. As, as the author of Hebrews is describing this connection that we have with God because we are his children. In Hebrews chapter 4, beginning verse 15, it says, We don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet he didn't sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. There's times when I fall short and, the, and there's times when I mess up and there's times when I feel hurt and there's times when I've hurt other people. 
And there's times when I feel guilty and there's times when I feel alone and there's times when I feel like I'm, I'm carrying this huge weight and I'm, I'm struggling under it and I'm all by myself. And there's times when I feel neglected and there's times I feel unwanted and there's times I feel unloved. And, and what the promise is, is that I have a Savior that tells my God, that goes before my God and says, Father, I know exactly how he feels. I know exactly what that feels like. He needs to feel your presence right now. She needs to experience your grace right now. She needs to know what, it, what it's like to be forgiven. He needs to know and he needs to sense that it's okay. And in those times when any of us cry out to God, God, I feel so distant. I feel so connect, disconnected. I'm struggling. I feel so alone. God, do you have any idea how that feels? We have a Savior that says, I know exactly how that feels. I'm sorry you feel that way, but you are not alone. I know how fearful that is. I know the struggle of abandonment. I've felt it too. Let me carry that burden with you. You need to know I'm here. Years ago, um, when, when Christy and I were uh, working with the Southside Church of Christ over in Rogers, every summer we had a vacation Bible school. Some of you know exactly what that is. Some of you have no clue what that is. We invite, you know, our church and our community, bring your kids. We're going to have Bible lessons. We're going to have snacks. We're going to have uh, songs. It's just going to be a fun time together where we learn about Jesus together. And they would come several nights a week, and we would do that uh, together. And it was awesome. We had a lot of volunteers, a lot of fun, a lot of work. Our kids were kind of small at the time, and there was one night where everything was done, and, and there's just a handful of us there in the building, and, and that building was fairly good size. And at the entrance of that building were these glass doors. And kind of like the glass doors we have here, you have that panic bar where, you know, you can get out, but you can't get in when that bar's engaged. You know what I'm saying? It's locked from the outside. And we're in, there's several of us that are cleaning up. We're getting trash thrown away. We're getting stuff ready for the next day when all the kids are going to come back again. We're turning off lights. We're turning off all the AV stuff. We're getting everything taken care of. And our kids are running around the building somewhere. And one of our boys ran outside, not knowing that he couldn't get back in. And we're all over this big building. We're nowhere near the lobby. And when he tries to get back in, he can't. And every door that he tries, he yanks on and is locked. And fear sets in. And he starts shaking doors and he's kicking them and he's screaming. Let me in! Mommy! Daddy! I don't know how long he was doing it. By the time one of us came walking through the lobby and saw him there, the tears and the snot were rolling. And that panicked feeling, you could see it in his eyes. Because for a moment, he knew where we were and he couldn't get to us. And he was alone. And I share that with you this morning as we wrap up today. That some of you may feel that feeling. Maybe just that dramatic, maybe not quite so, but you know what it's like to be disconnected from the Father. Maybe some of you here this morning, you've never even had that connection before. 
You don't know what it's like to be, to be loved and to be embraced by a God that paid the ultimate price for you. And I want you to know there's, not, there's no distance that he can't conquer. He will come running if you're willing to give your life to him and embrace you and say you are not alone. Some of you have felt his embrace before and you've walked away from it. Your own choices, your own decisions, your, your, the relationships, the habits, the addictions. Something has, has disconnected you and you feel distant from God. And maybe in your own heart this morning you're saying, God, Father, I can't get to you. I want you to hear the voice of my God this morning saying, you're not by yourself. I want you to see him running to you opening the door of grace and compassion and mercy and saying, I'm right here. You're not alone. We're going to stand together. We're going to sing a song together. As we sing that song, I would invite you, if you have felt distant and disconnected from my God, that can be fixed today. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, if you've never become a child of God, that can be fixed today. If there's some need in your life that is keeping you disconnected and disjointed and you feel abandoned and alone, that can be taken care of today. We invite you to come forward and share with us whatever burden that is. We'll do whatever we can to help. But don't leave here still feeling lonely. Don't leave here still carrying the same burden that you walked in the door with. Let us help if we can. Walk together, we stand and sing. When the night.